are jumping into a new sermon series on the book of Acts that will take us all the way through the end of the year, not because we're done with Acts. If it all goes well, that will get us to Acts chapter 17, and we'll still have some more. But for the rest of the year, we're going to be in the book of Acts. So, before we jump in today, let me give you some background on what's going on with this book. The author is a medical physician, Dr. Luke who has done a careful investigation of the words and works of Jesus Christ, as well as documenting the incredible spread of the church as he traveled with Paul the Apostle as his traveling companion during his three missionary journeys. And because of this, you may not realize this, Dr. Luke then has a two-volume work in the New Testament, the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts. And those are two big books, both of them. Luke has 24 chapters, Acts has 28. His two-volume work comprises more of the New Testament than anyone else, including the Apostle Paul's 12 letters. So this guy has a lot to say in the New Testament. And, and both these books were written to the same man, Theophilus. And because he's a doctor, with his training and his logical mindset, the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts are two of the most carefully documented and historically verifiable books in the New Testament. Because Dr. Luke was not writing to entertain. He was writing to convince. And he was writing a man that we believe was a high Roman official because he calls him most excellent Theophilus in the Book of Luke. He was writing to convince a man named Theophilus that Jesus is who he says he is, did what the scriptures proclaim he did, and that this message of hope in Jesus has changed literally thousands of lives on multiple continents. Now turn to Acts chapter 1, beginning of verse 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, so he's talking about Luke, I already wrote you once, here's part 2. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that Jesus was alive. He appeared to them... Over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So what is this power? What is this power? That Jesus is talking about. And how can we experience the same power today? Well, here's what you need to understand. Number one, first, you'll never have this power that Jesus is talking about until first you are convinced 
and confident about who Jesus is and what he's done for you. In both of Luke's volumes, the book of Acts and the gospel of Luke, he goes out of his way to emphasize the evidence or convincing proofs that Jesus is alive. Look at verse 3 again in Acts chapter 1. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. The Greek word for proof, right there in verse 3, is a technical term that indicated demonstrative proof or evidence. In the opening of his gospel, Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, he says this, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. For Luke, the very starting point for experiencing this supernatural power in your life is to be convinced that Jesus is alive. That he's alive, that he's alive. The resurrection is not optional. If you think, well, what's the big deal, Brad? Why does it matter? I mean, here's what I hear sometimes. I mean, couldn't it just be that the idea of resurrection still gives hope and inspires us every year, even if it isn't true? That's what some people want to do. Jesus probably did not rise from the dead bodily. That could not have happened. But that, just the very idea of it is so inspiring. Every year we celebrate this and there's eggs and there's bunnies. And there's also this idea of resurrection, new life, new hope, new. In a way, what they want to say is just like, just like a movie that is fictional that we know is not true can be inspirational, right? Have you ever been inspired by a movie that you know This is not true. This didn't really happen. But at the end of the movie, you're like, yeah, we can do more. We can do differently. We can do better. I have been inspired by this fictional movie. So why can't Easter just be that? Every year it rolls around. And we know it's probably not true, but it's so inspiring about new life and hope. Well, we don't have to wonder whether it's okay to take that approach. The Apostle Paul answers the question in 1 Corinthians 15 when he says, If Jesus did not rise from the dead, Christians of all people are not people that are inspired. They're to be pitied. They're pathetic. They're to be pitied. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, Christians of all people should be pitied because our preaching is empty, our faith is in vain, and we are still in our sins. You can't say, but well, Jesus was just a kind guy. He did some great teaching. He was very inspirational. He fed the hungry. He, he just really wasn't who he said he was, and he didn't rise from the dead, folks. Jesus didn't come to feed the hungry. He didn't come to straighten out some lame legs. He didn't come to open some blind eyes. He came. He did those things to get attention so that you'd know this is not just any other man. 
But that's not why he came. He came to solve our biggest problem, the sin problem that separates us from a holy God. And if Jesus did not rise from the dead, we are all still in our sins without hope. Jesus conquered sin and death and Satan and hell by rising from the dead. That is the very starting point for having any of this supernatural power in your life. You see, Christianity, get this, Christianity, the very foundation and framework of Christianity rests on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If that is not true, Christianity implodes and collapses in on itself. This is what we rest on. This is why we say what we say and do what we do and believe what we believe. You'll never be an instrument in the hands of the living God until you first believe that Jesus is who he says he was and is alive. He rose from the dead. But oh, there's more. The very starting point for getting this power, you got to understand this power has a purpose. Because this power is actually a person who has a very specific passion. So the Holy Spirit has a passion. So this power has a purpose because this power is a person that has a specific passion. And his passion is to make much of Jesus. Folks, you hear Christians go off the rails on this. The, the Holy Spirit power was never given for you to do party tricks for your friends. Watch this lamp move. Watch this. Boom. And it wasn't for you to get close parking spots at the mall. It's like, oh my goodness, the power has a purpose because the power is a person that has a specific passion. The Holy Spirit loves to not make much of himself and certainly not make much of you, but to make much of, say his name, say it again, Jesus, 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 Jesus. So here's what you need to understand. Number two, you'll never even need this power. You'll never need this power until you are convinced that Jesus is still on the move today through you. You say, what? Well, look at Acts 1-1 again, where Luke says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus, say the word, No, no, the next word, sorry. Jesus is a good one, but say the word after Jesus. All that Jesus, say it again, say it again. He's not done. Hallelujah, he is not done. All that Jesus began to do and to teach. The key word for understanding the book of Acts is the word began. Because Luke is saying the book of Acts is just a continuation of all that Jesus was doing and teaching in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Acts is just a part two, part two, part two of Jesus on the move. That's why we don't need to feel sorry for ourselves and say, oh, we're trying to make up for the absence of Jesus today. Wish he was here. Please don't wish that. It is better that he's not. That's what he actually taught. And there's a reason. Because when he was here, I hope you realize, in bodily form, Jesus, if he was in Jerusalem, could not be in Samaria. If he was in Samaria, he could not be in Capernaum. If he was in Capernaum, he could not be in 
Judea, one place at a time, helping one group of people at a time, talking to one group of people at a time. Now, oh, now, the spirit of the resurrected Jesus lives in every believer. There's never been more Jesus in our world than there is today. He's here. He's not up there watching. Folks, he's right here working through his people all across the globe in every educational and economic strata known to mankind. That's why, let me quote a verse. It's not in your bulletin because I thought of it yesterday in the bedroom and the furniture heard it for the first time. And they just vibrated and said, that's good. John, write this down. John 14, 12. That's a verse that gets misunderstood and misapplied by Christians all the time. Listen to what Jesus said in John 14, 12, because it fits right here. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do. Because I go to my Father. So Christians start thinking, why aren't we seeing more blind people given sight and more lame people healed and raising the dead and and multiplying loaves and fish? He did not mean we'll see more blind people given sight, more lame people able to walk, more hungry people fed. Folks, more of what he came to do, greater works means he can only be right here talking to this group and now. He goes with you into Kenton County and into Camel County and yea, verily Pendleton County and across the river into Cincinnati and on up into southern Indiana and wherever his people are, Jesus is and he's not done. He's still working. All that he began to do, he is still doing through believers today. So if you have a heart for believer, unbelievers and think, I, I wish he would do something, he, he's on the move today. We don't need to feel sorry for ourselves. We're not trying to make up for the absence of Jesus. He lives in us. He's on the move and he's working through it. And here's something I want to I get you to think about. it. This mindset of working for Jesus. Right, he's gone now. And he's watching and I need to work for you. I'm working for Jesus. I'm just working for Jesus. I'd rather do other things. But I'm working for Jesus because he died for me. And that is pathetic. And leads to a life that's exhausting. If you have a mindset, I'm supposed to work for Jesus. It leads to exhaustion. Understanding he's at work through me is exhilarating. And exciting. And you can do it for a lifetime. If you head off with, I have to work for Jesus, you will reach a point sooner than you'd like to realize that you're just done. But when you get a hold of, oh my goodness, I don't have to make anything happen. I'm not trying to make anything happen. I just want to get in on what God is doing. Give me eyes to see what you're doing, where I am. Everyone doesn't need to leave the marketplace. In fact, please don't. Be engineers and pharmaceutical sales reps and school teachers and homemakers and carpenters and plumbers and electricians. Be that and be on mission because Jesus is with you in that engineering form. Jesus is with you in the car as you do your route and make your sales call. And don't, don't not do your job. Don't hear me saying that. But you're on mission and you will have opportunities. And he meant for there to be some Jesus in that pharmaceutical sales rep 
team. He meant for there to be some Jesus in that engineering firm and some Jesus in that neighborhood and in that gym and in all the places we're going. Greater works will you do because I go to the Father. Because now there's the Spirit of Christ in every believer. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to get to a certain level. Well, I'm a baby Christian. But I'm looking forward to the day I get the Holy Spirit. As soon as you're saved, Spirit of the resurrected Jesus Christ living in you. And that's what Jesus was talking about and promising in Matthew 16 when he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He's doing that today. He's building his church through his people, spreading this message. That's why when you read the book of Acts, you see, oh my goodness, despite hostility and cultural objections, the church of Jesus Christ And the message of the gospel is unstoppable. Folks, apart from a living God at work through his spirit in this world, there's no reason Christianity should still exist. It should have been stamped out long ago. It's still alive and well because Jesus is still doing what he began to do in the gospels. And he's doing it today through believers all over this world. It is unstoppable. Stoppable, not because of us, but because of him continuing to do what he promised to do. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. This awareness, it's not me working for Jesus, it's Jesus working through me. Paul the Apostle had this. Paul the Apostle had this mindset and he could be someone who might have gotten confused. You could be someone who get confused when you read the book of Acts. When you read the book of Acts, you'll see from about chapter 7 all the way to the end of chapter 28. Oh my goodness, Paul is a main human character on stage in the book of Acts. Because he he takes three missionary journeys. He goes into dozens of cities. He plants dozens of churches. He gets to multiple continents, even in a day when there were not jet airliners. Wow, one man. Guess what? That one man never got confused about what was happening. The reason he could persevere and not lose heart, he was maligned, he was slandered, he was beaten, he was treated bad by Christians, he was disappointed in the church, he saw the message in the church. What kept Paul going? He did not think he was working for Jesus. He knew Jesus was working through him. You say, how do you know that? You just guessing? No. He tells us, Romans 15, verse 17 and 18, he says, Therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. So now, catch that also. Don't hear what we're not saying. Paul had to go. Paul had to speak. So God isn't getting it done without us. Paul had to go. Paul had to speak. Paul had to take action. But he was fully aware. Oh, it's what Christ is doing through me. As I speak, as I do things, that's what's causing the Gentiles to obey and come to faith in Christ. That'll keep you going for a lifetime. So let me ask you. If you claim to be a Christian, which describes you? Working for Jesus 
or Jesus working through you. And the difference might, might be the reason you lose heart so easily and often and quickly. And I get this because it's crucial. Number three, you'll never experience this power. You'll never experience this power until you're gripped with a love that compels you to risk doing what he's called us to do. See, if you're concerned about lost people today, I hope you are. I mean, you just, you just, you just get around people. You just see the news. We know we're not better than them, but I hope your heart breaks for them. People are so confused. People are so broken. People have been experienced such hardships in life. This is a broken, dark, hard world. And you say, doesn't God care? Does God have a plan for reaching lost people? He actually does. He does. Jesus declared that he does have a plan for reaching lost people. Look at verse 8. But you. uh Uh-oh. Wow, look at me. You. You're you're like, Brad, he's got to have another plan. No, he doesn't. No, this is a backup. This is if everything else fails. Why not flyers from the heavens and just, why not spell it across the sky? I don't know why not. But this is what he's, he said he's, otherwise, folks, when you get saved and you become a Christian, why not just out of here? Why did he leave you? It's certainly not to just build bigger homes, get nicer cars, take longer vacations, play with the grandkids. I'm not saying it's a sin to play with them. Certainly not to build birdhouses and collect shells, I can tell you that. But you... Listen to it. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Three key pronouns in that one verse. Did you pick up on it? You, you, you. And since the verse begins with the word but, it's worth noting. Right? That's a conjunction that you use when, oh, this isn't right. We need to turn in a different direction. This is a correction. This is a correcting conjunction. So what is Jesus correcting? What were the disciples asking for and wanting that Jesus wanted to correct? Ah, oh. it's the same thing that we so often want and ask and try to get at the bottom of. They want to know when he's going to make all things right when are all these promises going to come true when is the kingdom going to be established fully consummated when will you be king jesus instead of humble lowly servant and when will we reign with you and when will evil be vanquished and what was really on their minds when will the romans be tossed out hallelujah when 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 and jesus answers them in verse 7 i can summarize it for you It's none of your business. It's absolutely none of your business about dates and times. And yet, do you not know, and I hope you're not one of them, the number of Christians that just spend their time trying to figure out exactly when it's all going to happen, exactly when it's going to return, and then even write some books and blogs and are stupid enough to sell their house and just stand on a mountain in a bed sheet. And then have to come down in their bed sheet and buy clothes all over again and live in a cardboard box because we sold the home cheap. 
It's like, don't do that. He never said, try to guess, try to set dates, try to make your life all about figuring it out. When is the wrong question. The right question is what? What should we be doing until you come? What have you given us to get it done? What should we be doing until you come? And what have you given us to get it done? When is God's business? What is ours? What are we to be doing? And that conjunction and puts these couples, these two things together. These two things go together. The power of the Holy Spirit and witnesses. 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 See, to be a part of his plan, you have to open your mouth and speak. I know for some of you it's hard. But trust me, I haven't always been this way. I wasn't, you say, oh, you've probably always just been frothy. No, I haven't. I was a little boy that just wrapped myself around my mother's leg, and my mom would have to say, say hi, Bradley. Hmm. Not going to happen. I went all the way through ninth grade without speaking the entire year on purpose. I'd rather not talk. I, yeah, I know, shocking. And I'm not saying you'll become like me, God forbid. But, you guys, it doesn't matter what your personality is. Well, I'm an otter. Well, be a speaking otter. I'm a beaver. I'm a golden retriever. You know all those personality things? Be the animal you want. Just be a talking animal. That's all. <laughs> right? What? You got to talk. We're supposed to use words. A witness uses words. Oh, the book of Acts is full of action. It's one of my favorite books. It is action-packed. But guess what? 30% of the text in the book of Acts is Christians explaining the gospel to some other people. 30% of the text in these 28 chapters gives us examples, whether it's in the marketplace and Paul on the hill of Areopagus explaining to philosophers, whether it's on a deserted road, whether it's in court, whether it's on trial, whether it's in prison, whether it's gathered in a living room with friends like Cornelius in Acts 10, it's people using words to explain who Jesus is and what he's done for us to other people. Words. 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 I mean, the word witness is used all through Acts. It's used 29 times either as a verb or a noun. That you have to use words to be a witness. I mean, imagine... Imagine someone being called to court, sworn in as a witness, and they just decide, I'll sit here in silence. My life is all the witness they need. That'll change how everyone looks at the facts of this case, just me sitting here. Really? You'd say, that's ludicrous. Yeah, it is. And so is thinking, I never need to use words. Don't hear me saying, don't love I love people, I meet practical needs, I serve people, I do not always preach a gospel sermon every time I do something. So I am doing loving things and we're supposed to. But if you never get around to speaking, you are not doing what he said he gave us the Holy Spirit to do. Speak, speak, speak. Words, words. Ordinary Christians telling other people what Jesus has done, who he is and what he's done. And here's some really good news. It's not our job to persuade people. Pressure's off. I grew up in churches that when you said, oh, please tell other people about Jesus, I said, let me throw up first. Because like, it wasn't just tell them. It was like, get them to pray a prayer, seal the deal. It was like, put them in a headlock for Jesus. Really? 
Let me tell you one more time. Don't you want to pray the prayer? Pray the prayer. Ask Jesus into your heart, doggone it. You're going to hell. And then people would come back to the church and we had 29 decisions for Christ. Yeah, after a while, people like, all right, already, I prayed the prayer so you'll let go of my head. You know, and even in churches that sing a hymn at the end, just as I am, please come, the buses will wait, your friends will wait. You got to get up and walk this aisle. How many people have gotten up and walked just to get their relatives to get off their back? Like Uncle Freddie finally walked the aisle. Yeah, he walked the aisle so you'll shut up and, and let his head out of the... We don't have to twist arms. We don't have to put people in a headlock. All we're supposed to do, witness, right? Tell the truth, the whole truth, and no, nothing but the truth. So help me God. It's God's job to convince. I just get to sow seed. I just get to talk about. I, I get to be one beggar telling another beggar where I found bread. I get to just tell about the person who's changed my life, who he is and what he's done. That's what it means to be a witness. And, and let me actually give you some guidance on when you choose to witness and when you choose to. I think sometimes Christians tell too much of their story. And witnessing is actually explaining the gospel. So I'm not saying you can't tell any of your story. But I'll be honest with you. I'm actually glad that I don't have some amazing story. I came to faith in Christ when I was seven. So I couldn't stop cocaine because I never started cocaine. That's not an amazing story. At seven I pushed away the powder and no you know I was coloring sheets at seven and I kept coloring sheets and I love to draw and I so I don't have a story that can distract me and it forces me all I got folks is the gospel when you say well what are you doing Brad when you talk to people I'm explaining to people who Jesus is and what he's done that he kept the law for us when we could never keep it That's why he took on flesh. And that then when he died on the cross, he took the punishment that should have been ours from a holy God. The wrath of God was poured out on him so that now when he rose from the dead, if you put your faith in him, faith by grace, you can't earn it. By grace alone, through faith alone in Jesus, you can be forgiven and free and have eternal life. That's the gospel. I just tell that story. I look for opportunities to tell that story. Not long ago on a plane, I shared this on Easter, but only one, one service, because sometimes I say things that were not in my notes. But I'm going to say it again. If you heard it already, sorry. It's a good story. Recently, I was on a plane. There's a guy sitting next to me on the phone. It was evident he's doing some big-time business just by the numbers that were thrown, being thrown around. So when he hung up, I just started a conversation. I just asked him about where he was headed and what he does for a living. And I like learning, so don't, it can't be like, I don't really want to know this just ma- manipulation. I like it. I like people. We're supposed to like people, love people, lo- love learning. I'm learning what he does and how he does it and just enjoying it. And then, when, and then when there was a pause, I simply did this. I said, you know, you seem very successful, and we're similar ages. I was taking a chance there. He looked like he was in his 50s. And sometimes at this season of life, you start to rethink life a little bit. And so I asked a question. I said, have you given any thought to the afterlife? And he said, funny that you should ask that. I just started thinking about that. Oh, what a coincidence. I don't think so. Holy Spirit. But then he went on to just with great gusto say, when you die, you die. That's it. You know, he started thinking about it, but that's. 
you know, there's no more afterlife, da, da, da. I just let him go. I didn't argue. But when he took a breath, I simply asked another question. When he did take a breath, I said, but what if you're wrong? This is really serious. And he didn't get mad. Instead, he actually leaned closer, and with feeling in his voice, he said, I know. And then he became more honest. See, sometimes, folks, the first thing that someone tells you is not always what they really believe. It's what they want to believe, and they'd like you to believe they believe that. Don't go after it with your six shooters trying to blow it up. Just ask another question. Because then he was more honest, and he said, hey, I retired at 46. I have millions of dollars in the bank. And I thought I had the American dream, retiring early, tons of money. And within two months, I was miserable and didn't know what to do with myself and thought there's got to be more. There has to be. And so I pointed him to more, to Jesus and the gospel. But he pushed back as often people do, and that's okay too. He began to tell me of hurts from the church and hurts from other Christians and even a horrible thing that happened with a pastor. Yes, we sinners too. So real bad. And and please know, folks, you don't have to defend the church or Christians. We have not been called to witness about Christians in the church. I just listened, and when he was done with that, I even said, I am so sorry. Say you're sorry. You should be sorry that that happened. I am sorry. And I said, that's just evidence that we're all sinners, even Christians and even pastors. But what about Jesus? So I, I went right past church and Christians and said, have you considered Jesus? Don't throw out Jesus because of your experience with the church or Christians. Have you ever considered who Jesus is? And I asked him to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then I explained the gospel in like three minutes. And said, here's who Jesus is and why he came and what he did and how he's our only hope for salvation. I did not try to argue him into the kingdom. I did not try to get him to pray a prayer. That's not my job. I did write his name down, and he's in my little prayer journal. And now I have a day that I pray for this man that I had the privilege of simply being Jesus' witness. And I don't think it was an accident that we were sitting. Now, let me say something that might really encourage you all. I actually get on planes and sit next to people and say, not going to happen. Not today, God. I don't want to do it. I'm scared. He looks scary. I don't want to do this. He looks disinterested. Yeah, he's going to put on headphones any minute now, so why start? Does that make you feel better? I do that. So I, I'm scared. I'm selfish. Sometimes I think, I, I just taught seven times this weekend. Give me a break, God. I want to read my book. Yeah, I'm a sinner too. But oh my goodness, those times, I can't tell you how many times when I lean in and I'm obedient, it turns out, oh my goodness, this was very timely for this person. Words. Words. You see, get this though, to speak most effectively, you want to know what motivates me? I hope you don't make the mistake, he's a pastor, it's his job, we pay him to talk to people about Jesus. I wouldn't do this any more than some of you do it, and there are actually pastors who hardly ever do it either. A sense of duty is not what moves me. Most of my conversations that I have with other people, let me tell you what moves me. Love. 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 See, listen, to speak most effectively, you need to be filled with love instead of driven by raw duty. 
Oh, listen to me. And I'm a type A. I'm a fairly disciplined guy. So don't hear me saying a sense of duty is altogether wrong. To, to discipline yourself to say no to your flesh and do some of the right things. We could use more of that in our culture. And you need, it's crucial to have sound doctrine. But listen to me. God never designed you or me to run on sound doctrine and raw duty alone. It'll only take you so far and you'll be done. Whereas love, oh my goodness, love will keep you going. Love, when you see boldness and you see courage and you see someone willing to risk, don't make a mistake, it's not raw duty. Raw duty will not cause you to have boldness and courage and risk. It's not even sound doctrine. It's love. You say, Brad, how do you know that? First John, another bonus verse, write this down. First John 4.18, perfect love casts out what? Perfect doesn't mean sinless, folks. It's a word, telos, in the Greek that means mature, grown up. The more I become like Jesus, so I want there to be more Jesus and less Brad. And you're all like, amen. So as I read my Bible, folks, it's not just for information. It's for transformation. I'm becoming more like Jesus. I'm getting the mind of Jesus. I'm getting the heart of Jesus who actually really loves lost people. Read the Gospels. He loves them. Well, if I spend time with him and read what he says and walk with him, my heart will become his heart. And like John the Baptist said, I must decrease, he must increase. That didn't mean ability to do supernatural, amazing things at Florence Mall. That meant you start loving lost people and you'd be willing to sacrifice and do something for them and then speak a word of truth that might change their lives. You're willing to. To, and when we say risk, there, there are Christians in other countries that they are risking being killed. They are risking being imprisoned. But folks, we still struggle with this. Sometimes our risk is nothing more than I might be mocked. I might get marginalized. I might get pegged as that Christian now at work. Yeah, you might. Are you willing to risk that? Because you love people enough that you just can't stay silent? Love. And that's what the Apostle Paul was, was talking about and doing. Paul did not live the way he lived all those years, being beaten, being slandered, having difficulties in the church, being drugged before courts and prisons because of raw duty. It was love. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians 5, 14, 15. For the love of Christ compels me. That word is, is like, I can't not do this. The love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live. He's talking about Christians who've been made alive spiritually. Those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again. We got way too many Christians still living for themselves. It's the next bigger house. It's the next bigger car. It's just the next, the next, the next, the next, the next. No kingdom mindset. Those who live, no longer live. Again, don't hear me saying it's a sin. We just redid the kitchen last year. But you need to wait at least 26 years, and it needs to look really gross. <laughs> Not every five years. It's like, yes, we redid the kitchen. So don't hear me saying, even though Jesus may come tomorrow, what a waste. But I love my granite countertop. 
And that's not a sin, but that's not what we live for. It's not what we live for. It's not what we live for. What are you living for? Those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again. Love for Christ is what will lead you to live radically different and swim upstream when everybody's going hard in the opposite direction. Raw duty and sound doctrine will never get it done. So how do you get this kind of love? Well, I've told you part. You read the scriptures and you track with Jesus and his heart will start to become your heart. But there's something else, I think, going on in this passage. You don't have to agree. It's not a hill I'm going to die on, but I'm not the only one that thinks this. I didn't make this up. I don't think Acts chapter 1 is talking about a believer receiving the Holy Spirit for the first time at new birth. Because Luke also mentions this at the end of Luke 24, verse 49, where he says, when you are clothed with the Holy Spirit, clothed. The Holy Spirit used to come on people in the, in the Old Testament to empower them to be used by God to make a difference. Now, I know we have the Holy Spirit living in us, but there's these references like in Ephesians 5, you got him, but are you filled with him? In other words... Does he have you? Be filled with the Spirit. And the analogy is, is, is alcohol. When someone has had too much alcohol, guess what? It changes who they are. They're, they're less inhibited. They're, now, sometimes they're mean, but sometimes they're funnier, bolder. What happened? Alcohol. That's supposed to happen to us by the Holy Spirit. Whatever your personality is, you should be less inhibited and more free to talk about Jesus and what matters most. Luke is talking about an experience that I believe moves us from an ordinary Christian walk that can seem very mundane and like I'm just trudging along to a life where you're just overflowing, like out of love. I just, I just want to say these things. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a medical physician as well as a marvelous pastor and preacher for decades in London. And he describes in his book that he calls Unspeakable Joy what he thinks is being talked about in Acts 1. And what I think is being talked about in Acts 1. And he talks about the difference between an ordinary Christian walk and living and what happens when the Holy Spirit clothes you or comes on you with unusual power. He uses this illustration and I love it. If you've had kids or you have grandkids, surely you can relate. He says, it's like a child walking, walking along, holding his father's hand. The child's happy. He feels secure. He knows his father loves him. But there's no compelling urge to talk about it or sing about it. But suddenly his father startles him by reaching down and sweeping him up into his arms. I've done that with my kids sweeping them up into his arms and hugging him and kissing him on the neck and whispering, I love you so much, and then holding him out away from his body so he can look him in the face and say, I am so glad you're mine. I get to be your dad. I used to say that all the time. I get to be your dad. Those were my good days. There were other days that I thought, I have to be his dad. But <laughs> this is a happy story right now. I get to be your dad. And then pulling him in tight again. And hugging them affectionately and then setting them back down and continuing to walk. Now let me ask you. Does that child have the same father that she had five minutes ago? Yeah. 
does that child feel the same way about herself or her father that she did five minutes ago? No. She is so much more secure in his love and overwhelmed by his love that she, no one has to say, talk about your dad. She wants to talk about her dad. She sings songs about her dad. Have you ever heard one of your kids just sing a song they made up about you? I hope. Unless you were that bad. You know, I would just catch my kids just singing, my dad, my. It was, mainly had like two words, but they're so happy. <laughs> right? They're singing about their dad. They're talking. You'd overhear them in the yard. Well, my, my dad, da, 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 da. they want to talk about their dad. They want to make up songs about their dad. And they're not embarrassed for someone else to hear it. What he's talking about is a childlike freedom and loss of inhibition that has nothing to do with raw duty or doctrine and everything to do with love. I am so convinced that God is my Father who knows me intimately and loves me dearly. And it's all based on Jesus, not my performance. And he sings over me and he loves me. And Jesus is alive and real to me. And I'm more loved than I could ever imagine. So that bubbles up and just might be easier to talk and yea, verily sing and say something. Big difference. Big, big difference. Oh, listen to me. If you're here and you're an unbeliever, I'm so glad you're here today. You say, I'm not a Christian. I'm so glad you're here. Come to Christ. Come to Christ today. This is the one who died for you and says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. He doesn't say, come to me all who are ready to get their act together and work harder. Oh. Working is what we've already done. That's why he said, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I'll give you rest in my love, in my acceptance, in my forgiveness. And don't start by asking, well, I need to know if Christianity works for me. You'll hear that. Dumb question. Ask, is it true? Is it true? Is Jesus who he said? And here's an even dumber one that's popular today. Well, I don't know if it's true for me. That's really stupid. Sorry. Who, who, who here would say, oh, that whole gravity thing, I don't know, true for you, not for me, look at me. No, it's true for all of us. Gravity is either true or it's not. So this is nonsense. Well, oh, it's true for you, but not for me. It's either true or it's not. And if it's true, it's true for every single human being. So you better spend some time thinking through, is Jesus who he says he is? And did he do what the scriptures testify that he did. And then you're still not done. You can conclude, I think it's true. But you still need to surrender and submit your life to that truth. You have to die to yourself and clinging to your life in order to live. But oh, what a life it is. Oh, comes through a death. But oh, there's life on the other side. And freedom, grace, and peace, and joy. But let me speak to those of you who say, well, I'm a Christian. Oh, listen to me. If you're that Christian, I love you. I'm not beating up on you. But if you're that Christian, that Christian life for you is really just all about trudging. 
It's just trudging through life and trying to do the right thing. And it's quite honestly exhausting. Would you consider? Would you consider saying, God, I want you to sweep me up into your arms. And I want you to overwhelm me with your love. Not so that I can just sit around and say, oh, I'm so loved. You will. But that I'm so loved will cause you to love others and to be less inhibited. Say, sweep me up in your arms so that I know you're my father and you love me. And that Jesus is alive to me so that I would begin to live much more freely with the purpose for which you gave me your spirit to testify of Jesus, who he is, and what he's done. Oh God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit that does not just save us, but it fills us and it enables us. He, sorry, not it, he fills us and enables us and overwhelms us with the love of Christ so that we might love other people and share this good news with other people. Oh God, we don't want to just have power that we could do some amazing things. We want to experience this power so that you could do amazing things. And the most amazing thing is not blind eyes being opened, but it's Dead people being made alive. They were dead, now they're alive. There was no hope, now there's hope. Oh God, would you be pleased to use your power in us and through us to bring other precious people created in your image into life. By your grace and for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.